Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Alyssa May Atkinson, a comedian and bartender hailing from Brooklyn, New York. A bar manager at Precious Metal, Alyssa, along with her comedy partner Lauren Vino, produces and hosts monthly comedy shows called Midriff Comedy, which is held at Precious Metal on the first Friday of every month. With Matt, Alyssa chats about how she got started in comedy and what inspires her joke writing. They also chat about the origin of midriff comedy and how bartending, doubling as a form of entertainment, preps her for performing. And so, from her fascination with the comedic process and her plans for the future, here's presenting Matt Storm and Alyssa May Atkinson. And welcome to another episode of Autographs. My guest this week is the hilarious Alyssa May Atkinson. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I've known you for a long time through where all nerds seem to get together in Brooklyn, which is the Way Station, Correct. which you bartended at for a long time. Um, and now I'm so happy to know that you're also doing stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. which is really awesome. Um, let's start with the, the current gig doing stand-up at Precious Metal, which I know you're also a manager at and you bartend at. What um, inspired you to want to put together a comedy show at, at Precious Metal? Um. I was actually inspired to start doing comedy at Precious Metal because we one of our first events, there was a comedy open mic, mm-hmm. um, which was really successful at our sister bar, Pine Box Rock Shop. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it seemed like an obvious go-to first thing for an event, easy put to, to put together. Sure. We have, I knew a lot of comics already through Pine Box, so it wasn't tough. And um, I was always there for it, and I had never really been to a comedy open mic before because at Pine Box it was always in our back room. Mm-hmm. So just seeing seeing people work out material, I was immediately just like, I should do this. I can do this. Right. You know what I mean? I've always thought about it, but I thought, you know, it's too daunting, it's too scary. Sure. Um, and yeah, and then I just started doing open mics and I got the bug. Some people were like, oh, I'll just try it once. I'll just <laughs> cross that off my bucket list. But I definitely was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So the first time you got up, was it terrifying at all? Yeah. Yeah? It was pretty terrifying. I honestly, I did like a real dorky thing and mm-hmm. like wrote out three minutes of jokes because it's three minutes. <laughs> it's three. It was yeah. a three minute mic. Right. So uh, I wrote out three minutes of jokes, recorded myself, timed it for like, for an open mic, which is silly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people just get up and then some people just riff. Sure. Some people um, have jokes that they've had for a long time that they're trying to add a new tag on or, you know, try out a new thing that they thought was funny in their head this morning and, mm-hmm. oh, wait, nope, the audience doesn't like it, whatever. It's not funny. It's only funny to me. Sure. Um, but I had this, like, prepared thing that I practiced in front of my cats that I recorded <laughs> 17 times that I was rehearsing in the bathroom before my name got called. Oh, wow. And um, looking back, those jokes are total garbage, but... <laughs> did you... <laughs> so did... Do you feel that those jokes were success in the moment? Did you get yes, laughs? I did. Oh, well, that's good. I did. I did. And so are you not writing anymore? Are you mostly riffing, or...? Um, no. I'm, I'm definitely writing. Right. Um, but I think... 
you need to just keep doing it over and over and over again to kind of get what your rhythm is, get what your voice is. Sure. Get uh and and get the timing and the surprise of what a good bit is, you know? Sure. And I think, you know, it just it takes a while to learn that you can't just like like study, you know, joke structure and then automatically know. It's a very natural progression to get there. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, if you, like, some of my favorite comedians, their voices have changed so much over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at George Carlin, who started out kind of goofy and very, like, just pointing out the everyday to this heavily political kind of fight for the little guy, mm-hmm. you know, anti-politics, anarchist kind of guy, and it just came with age and change in the world around him. So I feel like you're always kind of developing your voice. Mm-hmm. Um, were you someone, and this is probably something you've heard before, but are you someone who liked to be funny for like family and friends and someone who oh, likes to, yeah. to to kind of be, hey, look at me? For sure. Um, s- some of my favorite comedians call it the hey, look at me disease. Mm-hmm. Like you always want to be the center of attention and be silly. Um, do you f- feel like you um, curated that at all when you were bartending? Because I know you've been bartending for a very long time. Yeah, I've been bartending for oof, 14 years. Wow. Since I was 20 in Boston. Wow. Um, definitely. I mean, I think... Um, well, people always think, oh, bartending—it's such a—it's such a fun, easy job. You're at your—it's like you're partying. You're, you're the host of a party, and it—and it is that to an extent. But there's so many different facets to it that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're an entertainer. Yeah. You're uh, you're you're somebody that brings people together, that introduces people, that builds community, sure. that uh, also polices that community <laughs> because people are getting inebriated. You yeah. have to keep an eye on that. For sure. Um. Yeah, there's danger involved sometimes. You sure. have to be uh, alert and aware. And um, but yeah, I definitely honed in on the entertainment factor, and that's what's most fun for me. And the building a community part. But sure. but you know, it's like I always felt like uh, as a bartender that I was like an MC of a show. Sure. Yeah. You know, and it's not about me, but it's I'm I'm the one kind of like guiding the experience. You know, totally. keeping it moving along. Um, and has any of your material that you've written so far kind of pulled from bartending? Do you have funny bartending stories that you like to talk about? Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. That, that's awesome. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about your writing process before we go back to midriff. Um, when you're curating jokes for, um, for a set, do you pull from current events? Do you pull from your own life? Is it a little of everything? It's mostly my own life. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I just went through some major changes recently. I got out of a four-year relationship. Mm-hmm. I've been dating. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's been the majority of my material right now. Sure. And that's just, it's just what I'm going through. So, right. I mean, I tend to, and I, you know, I do some stuff about my childhood, some stuff about my experience bartending. But a lot of it is, a lot of what I draw from is my current life. Right. It, the present, what's happening now, what happened this week, what happened... You know, and and I think it's a lot of it's because I'm really going through like a reinvention phase. Okay. Uh, and um, and really embracing my independence, the the fact that I have my own time. I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I owe any of my time to anyone else, mm-hmm. and I just get to have this clarity of what I want and what I want to do with my time. And a lot of it's comedy. Sure. And boys. <laughs> well, sure, of course. And I'm, we're pretty funny. Boys, bars. You know, bikes. 
bits. Other B words. <laughs> um, let's go back and talk a little bit about Precious Metal and Midriff, um, which you've done f- how many of them? Four or five so um, far? Uh, this coming Friday. Yeah, as we're recording, will be number four. Will be number four. So the next one that our your our audience here will will know about is going to be September first, and we're, that will be number five. Number five. Yeah. And so um, you have a comedy partner that you produce the show with. Yes. Um, how did you two get together? Had you always just been friends? Um, I actually met her doing open mics, mm-hmm. and it was just one of those things where we met and we were just like immediately best friends. Right. Um, her name's Lauren Vino. Mm-hmm. A great comic. She's been. She's been doing comedy for 10 plus years. She started in Chicago. Um, She immediately said to me um, that she wanted to work with me. Yeah. She loved my my humor. She thought like we're we're on the same page where we have a lot of shared experiences. Mm -hmm. We just became immediate best friends in comedy and started working together right away, which gave me a lot of confidence as a new comic. Sure. Because of course, you know, when you start out, there's so much, I've I've never felt more insecure. Of course. I mean, I guess maybe in high school, but even then (laughs) I'm not even sure if I was, because you know, you start out and you're, you see the same people all the time and they're progressing and they've been doing it longer and they're all younger than me, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, am I even funny? Should I quit? Like, I have all these doubts all the of time. Course. So to have such a veteran who I really respect and admire tell me she thinks I'm funny and wants to, to work with me was, yeah, it was like s- super important. Sure. Well, I, I can't imagine uh, a more solid confidence booster than someone who you think is funny telling you you're funny. Oh, yeah. Um, I once interviewed a comedian named Graham Elwood on this podcast, and I told him some story from high school about my last name, because uh, he was commenting on how cool it was, and I made him laugh. And in the back of my head, I'm going, oh, a com- comic I respect. I made laugh. That's <laughs> like a superpower. Oh, yeah, for uh, sure. Uh, I'll, never, I'll never stop appreciating that. Sure. I'm- when I'm on a show with somebody at that I that I admire and respect as a comedian who tells me I had a good set I'm just I'm I'm always going to be beaming from that. Sure, of course. Yeah. And so let's talk about Midriff specifically. Where did the name of the show come from and kind of what is your mantra or kind of desire for this show to be? Okay. Yeah, uh, so Midriff obviously. Obviously, it's is a play on Midrift. Yes. And um, one of one of Lauren's and my connection points right. was, you know, single ladies, we're killing it, <laughs> we're hot, yeah. yeah, we're in our 30s, why would we wear full shirts when we have <laughs> such cute midriffs? Right. And um, and then, you know, and then of course it's a play on words. Sure. We're mid-riff, we, we, we riff at the top of every show with each other, the mm-hmm. two of us, like, just have a conversation on stage. Um, to get the audience going, we have a good, we have a great chemistry. Like I said, we're like best friends now, so it's like, you know, that's that's kind of you know how it started. Mm-hmm. Um, what we want for our show, I mean, and a lot of people don't talk about this. A lot of big comedians, uh, it sounds so natural, it feels so natural and conversational, right? But there is so much structure, and there is so much so much thought put into how how a set is structured, how a joke is structured. Sure. And, um, you know, sometimes you, you will riff to, at, at open mics to get that first, you know, kernel, and then it gets really painstakingly worked out. Oh, is the, if I say it this way, 
that's you know right that's funnier oh I'll put this part in the in the beginning I'll put this part in the end whatever and we kind of structure our shows that way too mm-hmm. um, so we what we who we like to book obviously we book super funny comics every obviously. show of course um, but we like to book a variety of comics and it's not just diverse as of like oh we can only have this many white men although <laughs> we do kind of do that but right, um, <laughs> sure. oh well of course yeah we're like Ugh, gosh we have so Another many go- there's so many amazing straight white dude comics but we can't book them all on one show of course uh, and, but then there's also so many amazing female comics comics of color mm-hmm. you know of, of you know we cover the gamut we try to it's important to us but um but there's also a variety of different styles of, of comedy within stand-up. Sure. Um, and so we try to think about that when we're building a show. So, for instance, we had one show where um, we had a, com- a great comic, Maria Wojcikowski. She's mm-hmm. She is starting to go places. She's a good friend of ours, too. That's awesome. And she's very theatrical. Mm-hmm. Like, she tap dances on stage. During one of her one of her great. her bits, so like we had her on, and then we had we we had a you know Wendy Starling, another great comic, mm-hmm. and she is very autobiographical, in your face, loud, mm-hmm. uh, edgy, whatever, and then and then we had, and we had other comics that are just like more straightforward joke structure, mm-hmm. you know, and then me. And I was just like, oh my God, I have to go after Maria. She's so high energy. She's yeah. so theatrical. And I'm just going to get up and talk about dating and talk about, you know, how a dude a dude once asked me to pee in his mouth. How is, <laughs> how is that going to go over? Of course. Of course she somebody She was just did tap that. dancing. Now I'm going to talk about pee play. Like, how is this going to work? <laughs> and it just, and it turned out, and that, that was our first midriff, and it was my birthday. And I think... It just it just so happened because we booked comics of such varying sorry, no such words. varying um styles and energies mm-hmm. that the audience bought into more of the show because there were there were peaks and valleys because there was, you know, a big theatrical moment and then after kind of a low key chat mm-hmm. about pee. About getting peed wanting someone to pee in their mouth I imagine that's normal right oh so normal I mean <laughs> so you know I, I have to admit that uh, working in burlesque for me has been which not, my listeners are no stranger to has opened my eyes you know growing up a straight presenting white dude you don't really see a lot of the bullshit that a lot of women deal with and so introducing myself to the burlesque community and becoming an active part of it I do see a lot of that crap but I think the thing that will never stop amazing me is the things men think they can say to women online Mm. and uh, especially in their photographs yeah like um, you know following a lot of burlesque performers on Instagram they always post very awesome sexy powerful photos online and then some guy posts a comment saying i want to put my dick in your mouth and it's like what i don't understand the mentality behind that what as a man how tiny does your penis have to be to think that you need to comment about it in a public forum yeah like what's the purpose i 
I it's I think it's definitely insecurity. Right. And I think it's fear of loss of power. I think it's about power. It's not about sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's it's and and then, you know, it's not about like catcalling is the same thing. Right. They don't like men don't a lot I have a lot of jokes about catcalling too because it ha- it's just something that I'm happens sure, yeah. to me all the time. And it's not it's not about like having a stranger yell something crude to me. I know he's not expecting me to turn around and say, hey, what's your number? Right, of course, because how could that be the logic? I mean, there, there is, and there is an undertone of violence. Yeah. And it, and I think it, it, it stems from insecurity and fear of loss of power. Seeing a strong, capable, independent woman, whether, whether it's a burlesque dancer or just some woman on the street sure, with confidence or, you know, um, uh, yeah, a female comedian, yeah, a, an actress, anything like that. It's like when you see a woman with power, and you're an insecure piece of shit dude. Like that is that is the response. That is the low hanging fruit moment where it's yeah. like I'm going to be sexually aggressive. That is how I can feel powerful. And it's just so strange to me. I just, I mean, I guess because obviously I don't do it. Um, I also like my face, and I don't want it to get punched. I know a lot of powerful and strong women who would whoop my ass if I ever did that. But, <laughs> but that alone, you know, I feel like there's the, got to be this this check for um, intelligence. And I feel like what drives me even crazier is when I see smart people I know online be sexist do those kinds of things. It's like our lizard brain takes over and it's just like, oh, boobs, I have to say this thing. And yeah. I, I don't get that. It just, it seems really ridiculous. Um, crafting comedy around real life experiences like catcalling, um, do you feel like it helps you also deal with these kind, this kind of bullshit that you have to kind of come through life with? Does it help? Is there a catharsis to it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like taking that moment back, making it mine, making it work for me. Right. Being able to find, I guess, a strength in that moment when you might have felt uncomfortable or powerless and make it something that you can curate and and craft to, to give you that power back. Absolutely. And do you find that... Is your writing all, all from a place of that, of, of re-energizing, re-empowering? Do you find that um, that's where you, a lot of your comedy comes from? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I, I keep trying to branch out from mm-hmm. from like, oh, here's a shitty thing a dude did to me. <laughs> here's a shitty thing a stranger said to me on the street, and I'm going to turn this around and make it funny and 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 make myself feel in charge and right. make you know make people laugh about it. I'm trying to like get away from this whole like, you know, I only talk about. On stage, I only talk about men. Right, sure. And like, listen to this, what this asshole did or said. Um, but it just keeps resurfacing. And, and I work on other bits. Yeah. And the ones that are lasting are in that tone and about that thing. And I I don't know. I think being, being newly single yeah. and discovering like my independence and how valuable my time is and how valuable my experience is yeah. is kind of led me in that direction for now. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like you you know, if miraculously somehow most of the collective men of the world get their heads out of their asses, yeah. that could change. But yeah. I imagine Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's gonna I'm, take a minute. <laughs> I think so. I think that experience is gonna be the case for a while. Yeah. But I think that um it's it's great that you can still find power in that and and take that. And I think yeah, unless 
starting tomorrow, men stop being assholes. Uh, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, the way we raise men in this society, um, it makes it tough. Yeah, for, for sure. For for men to be good people. Well, because there's this <laughs> expectation of manliness is being an asshole, and I don't like I don't get the cor- correlation. I mean, I'm also someone. Who, who is particularly more feminine than a lot of the men I know and also grew up around a lot of women, so I know better. Yeah. But I feel like my experience is not the typical men's experience. Also, I had a father who was also way more sensitive than my mother. My mother was more manly than anyone else in our family, you know. Well, I Powerful think- Jewish woman who raised me to be strong and also didn't take my bullshit. But she didn't raise you to be strong the way a man might. She right. raised you to be empathetic. Yeah. And be strong and, and be less sensitive about your own feelings and more sensitive about other people's feelings. Sure. And that is a feminine strength and not a masculine strength. And I think that that is the problem Mm -hmm. with how, you know, how gender roles are built. Yeah, for sure. In in our culture. And, um, you know, because all the dudes I know Mm -hmm. are way more sensitive (laughs) than all the women I know. Oh, is that true? Pretty much. I mean, about their own feelings. Sure, of course, yeah. Sure, like, you know, a woman is more, maybe more likely to cry hearing a sad story or more likely to, you know, like, break down. Mm -hmm. But that's, that doesn't, that isn't weak. No. That is, I think, being able to express a a varying, you know, varying degrees of all different emotions is strength. And the covering up about about and and the not wanting to understand how other people feel, yeah. But then turning around and having this super frail ego, yeah. I think that's more weak. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you know, uh, we wouldn't be the first people to claim on the internet that uh, male fragility is a thing, mm. and uh, you know, I, I, it's just it's funny to me how. Society has kind of crafted this perception of what's manly, what's not, what's strong, and what's not. And I think that's where the problem mm-hmm. really lies. Is yeah, that for sure. Every depiction that I see on TV of a woman being frail and catty and a man being che- chest puffed out and, like, strong and saving the day is just continuing to perpetuate this issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it's why I love shows that spin that on its head or address those Situations and there's more of them now, but there's definitely not enough. Yeah, and I don't sure. think there's enough of that in comedy either. Like, especially since the majority of the more famous comedian are men. There are plenty of well-known female comedians, but whenever I hear someone talking about comedy greats, it's always you know George Carlin and Louis C.K. and all you know. It's never about Lisa Lampanelli and you know um, uh, Eliza Singer and all of these other comedians who are great, powerful, strong, brilliant. People, but they get for, like overshadowed by just society's uh, need to push men forward, which yes. is because society is controlled mostly by white, old white men. Yeah, it's infuriating. Yeah, I'm sure. Especially because I think, I think, in my experience, female comics are so much more serious about their work. Yeah, for sure. And and you know, I and and because they're just fighting to have a chance. Right. And I mean, of course, I was given that talk by my mom as a kid, which is like, you can do anything a man can do. Right. You just have to work twice as hard. And 
you're already twice as smart, so that's not a, that's not a problem. <laughs> right, of course. I knew I knew as a fact as a child that girls are smarter than boys. Oh, I mean, I'm that sure. Was... I'm sure there were examples of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, I just see all these really hardworking women and, and in comedy, and I'm really I I do have to say I think the future for female comics is looking good. I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of women are getting a lot more chances and are being rewarded for their hard work finally. Sure. And I think when we look back at like what we think are the greats, yeah. it's it's because that you know that that's the past, you yeah. know, and and a little bit of the present. And I'm not going to take anything away from my Louis C.K. or oh, or George Carlin because they are amazing comics. But what about Maria Bamford? Sure. What about what about that perspective? Yeah. She she is a completely original comic. Mm-hmm. No other comic talks about mental health the way she no, does. Oh, yeah. Stays upbeat, has, yeah. does voices, yeah. and talks about severe clinical depression and bipolar. I mean, it's like groundbreaking stuff. And she's been around for a really long time, too. Yeah. I think finally we're getting to the point where we're hearing more about the Maria Bamfords, the Judy Golds, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, it's, and it's great to see. And it's great to see some of my peers kind of climbing the ladder faster than my male peers yeah because now there really is in in our current modern culture that is more aware that talks about more of these things right there is that need and that in audience are asking for sure we want more female comics we want more comics of color we want more queer comics yeah and and i love that I love that I can, it's a palpable thing. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I knew immediately when Amy Schumer got her own show and did her specials and immediately there were controversies and and people trying to call out, you know, how she looks or what she's doing. And, yeah. You know, you know that you're on the right track if people want to tear you down immediately after you get successful finger quotes because she's been working her ass off for a long time, I'm sure, just like anybody else. Yes. But once she was in the spotlight and people wanted to tear her down immediately, like, oh, she's doing the right thing. I should check her out. Like, that's my mentality because you know that something's going, moving in the right direction if it's pissing everybody off. Absolutely. And I think Amy Schumer is a great example of audiences clamoring yeah. for, for female comedians, for you know, a different, a, a feminist take, an honest take, an mm-hmm. interesting lo- and really funny look at gender shit and body image stuff and all that stuff that, you know, in our society that needs to be talked about. Yeah. Um, and again, just like that cat, just like the cat collar, just yeah. like the online troll, they, she, she is a powerful force. Yeah. That is why. She's getting these comments from mm-hmm. from men. That's why people are pissed, because they're just like. And I think that there there is that lashback of these like the hyper masculine, hyper fragile ego dudes that are just like, oh my god, we're we're can't we have anything anymore? <laughs> yeah. No, you have everything. Yeah. You don't need everything. Let other people, let other perspectives come in, and let the the communities. Smaller communities at large mm-hmm. have a voice and have yeah. hope and have, you know, because I think when when somebody sees like Aparna a Nanchala like be yeah. successful in comedy, I mean, she is a woman of color. 
She has such a... She is super funny. Yeah. Um, But people see... People see her and they're just like, you know, like a tiny, shy girl who's like, I'm funny too. Like, just, yeah. just like, just like she is. It's, <laughs> it's important to see those different perspectives, those, those different styles and those stories. For sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. And I think that um, it, 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 an example of you saying that people are climbing for it is the fact that all that stuff goes viral and it goes viral so fast. It's like people want to hear these voices and people want to interact in the arts this way. Um so you've been doing comedy for a little over a year as of when we were recording, and clearly you have a bright future is continuing to do it. Do you have any other plans for what you want to do comedy-related? Do you want to try and record a special or some audio? Do you want to tour at all? Um, I want to do all of those things. <laughs> um, yeah, so Lauren and I um, are talking about going on the road sometime next year. Um, or even just like little little tours. She's yeah. from Chicago. I'm from the Boston area, so it would be nice even just do long like long weekends in our hometowns. Sure. Um, uh, we'll probably go out to LA at some point, but yeah, just little baby steps. We're also uh, we're, we've been talking about starting a podcast for a while. Mm-hmm. We um, I had this joke that wasn't really working on stage, working in the stand up. Like as a stand-up, like as a stand-up joke, mm-hmm. and she she mentioned to me, oh, that seems like it would be a more like, like visual thing. We should write a sketch, and we should we should record a sketch for that joke. That that sounds really cool. So yeah, so there's there's I have a, I have a lot in mind. I definitely need to um, now that I have a f- over 15 minutes of working material, um, and I'm getting booked on more and more shows. Um, I would really like to record. Uh, I need I need some tapes. Yeah, sure. So I can apply for festivals and you know all that stuff. That's very cool. Yeah, it's su- it's super awesome to watch someone you know who's artistic and creative find their outlet. Yeah. Like, I mean, me and my wife have known you for a long time. You're one of the first people I met at the way station when I started going there, and you always were awesome and fun and funny and so to see you kind of grow in this industry that you're into is really cool what i always wondered is did you have a history with comedy like growing up did you have favorite comedians did you watch a lot of comedy specials growing up um yeah honestly like i wasn't super into stand-up growing Mm -hmm. up i mean i definitely liked it Mm -hmm. um that kind of came later um i was more into kids in the hall sure of course state yeah like uh, that kind of, like that sketch, comedy. sketch comedy, and that's kind of and I and I did a lot of um, comedy writing in college and post college freelance um, mm-hmm. for some various like humor websites that don't exist anymore, um. <laughs> such as the, the era of the internet. Yeah, um, and so like I've always kind of, I've always had an interest. I've always known I was funny. Um, I've always like been that entertainer in the group, the class clown, the mm-hmm. one who's you know in second grade. Uh, oh, basically all of elementary school, I got written on my report card. You know, like <laughs> always disrupts great student. Disrupts always the class. disrupting the class. Yeah, uh, so I always <laughs> felt like that broke teachers' brains. Like, because I was someone who was so lazy in grade school, but was very smart and knew it. And so it's like it must be so frustrating for a teacher to want to punish 
the smartest kid in class who's also the loudest or more most obnoxious. Right. Like, what does your teacher brain do at that point? Yeah. In movies and TV, it's always the delinquent is like the kid from a poor family who has nothing and isn't smart. But often it is the smartest kid. Right, because Because they know what they can get away with. And they are bored. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, I got this done already. Let's crack some jokes. Yeah, let's do something, you know? I want to do something with my time. Yeah, I mean, I think I got in trouble for, like, writing a play in science class because I finished my work. You know what I mean? Like, it was stuff like that. You're being punished for doing more art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, No, it's funny. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely... Like, are there any comedians that you look to now that you're doing it and when you're finding your voice that you may have inspired you or do inspire you currently? Um, I don't... It's hard because there's. Yeah. I, I think I pick pieces from a lot of different comedians. I've mentioned a lot of them already. Right. Um. You've mentioned them a lot. Like yeah. You mentioned some of them. Yeah. Um. I. I definitely. I definitely. I think I get more inspired by my peers. Mm-hmm. Um. Because I'm just seeing. You know. It's like people my age and younger that yeah. are just on the grind, working hard. I'm seeing them develop, and I think going to open mics is so important. Um, for the development of your own material and also it's inspiring to see how you know my peers start a joke they have an idea for a joke and try it and it doesn't really work and then you see them uh, like the later that night at a different open mic or later that week or the next week and it's and that joke has progressed a little more and Mm -hmm. a little more and just to see material grow from from almost nothing. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, that is a good premise, but that's not a joke yet. And then, you know, so I think, I think I, maybe, maybe I have, I have kind of an analytical mind. I mm-hmm. was like, I, I joke that I should have been, you know, a doctor or a scientist or something. Cause I was like, you know, I got, I got a perfect score in AP calculus and <laughs> I got a physics award. And so I do have kind of, and I, and I love that, like figuring out, okay, why, how does this work and why? Mm-hmm. And so while I definitely have comics that I that I look to and appreciate and respect and and, and think are hilarious and mm-hmm. aspire to, um, just kind of figuring out everyone's process is the most interesting part for me. That's cool. I mean, and I imagine that your process must change and grow based on your knowledge and what you learn. Yeah. Um, have you ever gone to see a stand-up who showed you quite clearly what not to do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody, I expect you to mention by I'm name. I'm not naming but, names. No, of course not. But I imagine you must have gone to a show where you're just watching it and going, what are they doing? One thing, I mean, and this is always a rule in general is like, write in writing is, you know, write what you know. Right. And I think that that is a good rule. I love comics that go to the ends uh, and get super creative and absurdist. I mm-hmm. love that. Um, I hate when comics try to speak to other people's experiences Mm, and like pick apart current events and just like, if you're a straight white dude, do not make a rape joke. Just don't. No, I mean, just don't. Nobody should, but definitely not you. No, I mean, I mean, I think there are issues that are important. Oh, of course. To talk about and and important for, to to address in comedy. And and it's important for us to laugh about things, but there are certain things it's like, yeah, that is not your experience. Yeah. No matter how funny you think it is, it's not funny enough. Right. And even and talking about race and talking about, I mean, these are yeah. touchy things that should be addressed, should be talked about. Sh- there should be jokes about it. Sure. There should be jokes about terrorism. There should be yeah. jokes about, you know, 
about uh, violence against trans people. Yeah. All of there should be jokes about everything. Nothing is off the table. Right. But know your own experience, know your audience, and and be sure. Yeah. Well, I think because also context is important, and context is beyond you just telling the joke, but it's also your experiences, what have led you up to that moment. Mm-hmm. And Pete, I, I find as a, a fan of comedy, um, I can tell when someone's putting on pretty quickly. I can see through somebody kind of trying to exist in an experience. I can tell that from music, too. I mean, I've been doing a music podcast for a long time, and I like to rip on Nickelback as much as anybody else. But I think it's not because they're bad musicians, because they're not. They clearly can play their instruments. It's because it's clear that their experience is not their experience. They're writing about experiences, but generalized experiences that they don't have a personal connection to. Absolutely. And that's why you should make fun of or not enjoy something like that is if you can see how false an experience is you know you can tell that it's not sincere and so why should you give it the time of day exactly and i think you know listening to a comic have a joke about how they they're sure that their mom is an alien from planet whatever you know like yeah that is some absurd premise yeah but i i mean i can appreciate when i see a, a connection right and you know a genuine and, and a genuine like Delivery, sure. because even if it's it's their idea, it's their thought, it's their weird way of thinking, and right. and I appreciate that way more than somebody going, oh, this is a hot thing to talk about right now. I don't, it is not my perspective, or yeah. it is not my place, but but it's but I have to do it because it's the hot take right now. Yeah, and it's like you can spot people can spot disingenuous delivery from a mile away like you said sure so that is my probably my biggest pet peeve and the other one is just like if you think something might be offensive mm-hmm. you don't have to do it yeah there are plenty <laughs> of other things to talk about just don't do it yeah it's not worth it and and I think you know shock comedy is like when it when it's dealing with like oh we're pushing the boundaries of what's offensive and what's PC and this PC culture, whatever. Yeah. It's not, it's definitely my least favorite because it's like, I, I see that as definitely um, a cop out. Yeah. It's hack. Well, because your goal it's, is it's to lazy. offend. It's cheating. Yeah. Because it is, it's easy to offend people. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not easy to connect with people. Yeah. And um, that is a more positive end result to connect with people yeah to relate with people and um to inspire people to to make people think differently about something yeah and so those are the bigger goals when we're talking about tackling major issues right which we have to because of where we are in you know in the current political Gee, climate i don't understand what you mean like what could you be talking about I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean these are things that we need to be connecting with and having a, a you know a fresh take on and connecting as humans in in this shared experience and you know whether it's whether it's just talking about how people on tinder are crazy which is you know i i think part for the course using a web app to date or or you know having it talking about an experience at a planned parenthood where you got you know eggs thrown at you i mean these are these i mean i'm talking about things that are within my realm of experience that have that have you know Consequences on people in my personal community, in my experience as a female, yeah, um, living in present day, which doesn't feel like it 
it's what present day should be. No, and that's an yeah. important experience to share. Yeah, you know, and it's an, it's important for for a queer comic to share their experience. It's important for comics of color to share their experience, and that's why I think write what you know is a good rule in comedy. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's why making fun of Trump before the election was funny, and why making fun of him now is just daunting and tedious almost. Yeah. Like it's an easy target, and it's. You know, we need to stop talking about the next lie he told because he's told a thousand others and talk about the other things yeah, yeah. that are it's the boring. effects. It's boring now. Yeah. It's boring now. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of comics that do political stuff, and it's and it's sometimes good and it's sometimes not good because yeah. it's hard to tackle that stuff. Yeah, for sure. But you have to, like, you have to bring something new mm-hmm. to it. Otherwise, otherwise, it's 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 just a waste of, of your time and the audience's time. Yeah, it's you're regurgitating information that we already know. Yeah, and I, like I, in my brain, comedy has always existed as as a purpose to point out what's not obvious. You know, it's shining a light on the things that you may miss in day to day, and showing how hey, this is funny. Exactly, a you joke. Know? A joke is a surprise. Yeah, a joke is learning something. Yeah, um, it's 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 getting pointed in a direction you didn't you didn't know to look. Yeah, that's what a joke should be. I agree. Yeah, and it, it, I think it, even even a clever pun can be that. I also agree. I'm yeah. a fan of a clever pun. <laughs> Some people are not. Um, I, I am actually a fan of a clever pun. Um, I really thank you for taking the time to chat with me. You know, and I and I'm definitely going to try and actually come this Friday because I've not seen you perform live yet, and I really want to. Yeah. Um, but um, if you had any advice to offer in your year of learning, you know, learning and growing as a comedian. Um, what would it be to other people pursuing the arts or comedy? Like, what's the one thing that you've learned in just a year that you didn't know before that you would want to share? Um, first of all, if you are pursuing a career in comedy, don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, there's too many people that think that they can do comedy. Of course. And um, Hey, are, I, my friends think I'm funny. Yeah. I can do comedy. There's too many people that think they can do comedy and <laughs> and aren't funny. Yeah. And... Um, and don't realize that there's a lot of work to be put in. Sure. Um, if you're pursuing anything in the arts, have confidence in your talent. Mm-hmm. Have talent first. Yeah. Have confidence in your talent and always work hard. Mm-hmm. And never stop growing and changing. Never stop seeking out um, other people as inspiration. Always keep building your community. Always keep talking with other people that are that are in your specific brand of art. Mm-hmm. Um always support each other and reach out in other arts too and be inspired by those because you know it's i think in this day and age comedy film tv music that that's the important stuff right now yeah for we sure we have to we we can't let it we we can't let these communities die we have to support each other um we have to work hard we have to let our voices be heard our perspectives our stories um But more specifically, if you want to make it as a stand-up comic, um, yeah, you have to embrace your community. Mm -hmm. You have to go to open mics. You have to talk to people. Yeah, Um, That's hard for some people. Some people are really, really magnanimous. Is that a word? Magnanimous? I don't know. Maybe, Um, sure. Whatever. Whatever. Some people are really, are really great on stage. Yes. And then they're terrible in social situations. I get it. It's hard. Yeah. but yeah, connecting with people on a personal level, I mean, people would call it networking, making friends, whatever. Yeah. That's that's how you get shows. That's mm-hmm. how you get on podcasts. That's that's how you get asked 
to 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 be a part of someone's writing team, someone's yeah. sketch team, someone's you know like video they're gonna shoot. I mean, and that is and that is the fun stuff. That's when you that's when you start going places. Right. So yeah, I would say most important thing is in the arts is hard work, confidence, community. Makes sense to me. Yeah. That's so unfunny, though. I know. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. we have this deep, serious conversation about the arts. And I know, right? People are going to tune in and be like, where's the funny stuff, though? I'm, like, not funny at I, all. Uh, no, of course. <laughs> I don't I don't believe you're funny at all. I don't even believe you're a comedian, to be honest. Um, oh, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been an wow. absolute pleasure to have you. Um, I'll hope to be able to report back that she is, in fact, funny when I see her this Friday. <laughs> Guys, please come see uh, Midriff 5 at, uh, on September 1st at Precious Metal in Brooklyn if you're in the New York area um the last thing i'll ask is we have a saying on both my podcasts um that um i will have you amend because i think it's appropriate here usually it's music is life and life is good but i'd love for you to sign off us by saying today comedy is life and life is good yes comedy is life and life is good bye-bye if you enjoyed these interviews please subscribe to this and the crash chords podcast on itunes where you can also rate us and review us you can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.